0: Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, hi, everyone. That was pretty good. Let's do it one more time, though. Hi, everyone. Yes, that was much better. I hope you guys are doing well. Um, everybody's probably full-blown into the Christmas season, yes? And uh, maybe... Some of you. Um, how many of you guys have watched a Christmas movie yet? Yes? A few. A few of you haven't. I would recommend a Hallmark Christmas movie. Once you've seen one, you've seen them all. Um, and they are, but anyway, uh, get into it. It's all good. But today we're going to be looking at First and Second Timothy. We are on week number 12 of the series we've called To the City. And most of the, if you're new with us, we've just been kind of walking through some of the books of the Bible. And I say that, we've been just kind of touching down on them. And some of us are actually reading through. We have a Bible reading plan that kind of takes us from Romans through Hebrews this fall. But um, we're getting near the end of it. We, we finish up next week, but we're looking at First and Second Timothy today. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to First Timothy. But this is uh, the letters from Paul to his young protege, Timothy. Paul poured his life into Timothy, right? Paul was the guy that was trying to teach e- Timothy everything he knew. Uh, Paul was, or yeah, Paul was to Timothy say as like Yoda was to Luke Skywalker. You know what I mean? Like he was, yeah. some of you know, okay, for some of you, it might be more like Iron Man was to Spider-Man. And I mean that, was to Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> too, <soon. laughs> too Hashtag too soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm not a Marvel guy, but I know that one. Um, Let's jump into this today. Paul, so if you've never been to a, a protege, you know, probably the better word to say is mentor, right? So Paul was a mentor to Timothy in ministry. I want to jump into this. We'll start at the beginning of the letter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, it says this: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, my protege, right? My Luke. <laughs> My Tom Holland, whatever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the second letter of Timothy begins the exact same way. Paul says it the same way. And if you were with us last Sunday, we talked about how Paul begins his letters. He begins them with grace and peace. And we talked about how he begins it with grace. He says the Greek word for grace is charis. And then he actually uses that in the greeting, but then he uses the Hebrew word shalom for peace. And he brings two context, two worlds, two cultures together, the Greek and the Jews together in this greeting of grace and peace. But he does something unique here. You probably caught it. You probably see it. He does something different for Timothy, and he says grace, mercy, and peace. He says grace, mercy, and peace. He inserts another word, and this has to be intentional, does it not? I mean, this is something that Paul, the Holy Spirit, through the word, there's always intentional things. Well, the first thing you know, need to know about this letter, this is the first letter that we've looked at so far that isn't to a city, that isn't to a congregation, isn't to a group of people. This is actually to an individual. And so to the city, he declares grace and peace, but to the individual, he adds an extra measure of mercy. And that's really, really good. That's actually really good. Because here's the thing. We all need mercy, and we all need grace. But grace is actually different than mercy. It doesn't always feel that different. A lot of times we just kind of think of it as the same thing, like, oh, it's like forgiveness or something like that, right? And I've heard it explained like this, that grace is what we receive from Jesus through the cross for eternal life. How many of you guys are thankful for that, that we have eternal life in Jesus? Mercy is what we get from God through his presence and that He he gives us compassion and help in this life. How many of you guys want help in this life? Do you need? Maybe that's why in Lamentations it says that his mercies are new every morning, right? And so he's giving us his mercy every day, but he's giving us his grace for eternity. Thank you for, for both, right? We need God's grace and mercy, amen? amen? And so he gives to Timothy this extra measure of kind of encouragement when he says, and mercy, grace, mercy, and peace. Now maybe um, for us what we need to do to kind of, kind of get into this is just understand even a little bit more about what's going on and uh, with Timothy, because I think anytime we can get behind the letter, to get the story behind the story, it helps us so much. It helps us understand really what's going on, because here's a little about what's happening. This letter, the first letter, comes to Timothy at, at a time that he's feeling a bit overwhelmed. Um, he had become a pastor, which is overwhelming. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He had become a pastor, and he, he had actually become a pastor of the largest church in the world at the time. Which is quite fascinating. I don't know exactly how big it was, but it was the biggest church. It was in the city of Ephesus. It was booming. People were coming to know Jesus. It was growing like crazy. And he was a bit overwhelmed. He had a lot of plates spinning. He had a lot on on his mind, a lot on his shoulders. And on top of all that, you know, he's not only trying to figure this out. There's never been a church like this before. He's trying to figure it out. He's the first of its kind. Um, But on top of that, there's persecution starting to break out. There's people disagreeing about what the church ought to be, what Jesus... I mean, there's all sorts of this going on. He's feeling overwhelmed by the challenges he faces. Now, most of these challenges are a result of good things, are they not? This is a good thing. There's a lot of good things happening and challenges that are coming with it. And he needed some help on how to lead through this. And so that's when Paul sends him this letter. And he encourages them, and he says a lot of really cool one-liners. He says stuff like, stay true to your calling. He says, do the good work of ministry. He says, fight the good fight. He says, stand firm in the faith. These are all like really strong, you know, encouraging words. And remember the words of 1 Timothy 4. Some of you will know this verse, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. He says this, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. Now, why is he saying this to him? Well, he's a young pastor in a new church, and he's the, he's the guy in charge, right? He's leading this thing. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, and conduct, and love, and faith, and in purity. So this first letter is... Paul, I mean, excuse me, Timothy, don't be discouraged. Keep going. Build the church. You got this. Just be you. Here's some instructions on how to do it. This letter came at just the right time. Timothy needed encouragement. How many of you guys know that there's times in life whenever things are going great, but you still feel overwhelmed? You know what I'm talking about? Like anybody ever said, oh, I'm busy, but it's a good busy. (laughs) Anybody ever said that? Like I say that, like I want to make sure I'm justifying my busyness. Like I'm not complaining because it's a really good busy, but oh my gosh, I'm busy. Anybody, Anybody? yes, yeah, yeah, we're there. So there's times in life when we feel overwhelmed by what's going on that's good, and that's that's a good thing, but nonetheless, it's challenging, is it not? And in those seasons, we need help. We need his mercy. So this is first letter. The second letter comes to Timothy. If you've read through first and second Timothy, the second letter comes in a different time. It's several years later. The political environment of the Roman Empire has changed quite a bit. In the early days, there was, they weren't really paying attention too much to this new Christian faith that was growing, but all of a sudden, they got pretty upset about it, and persecution breaks out against the church. And so now this once booming church was starting to be attacked. People were being arrested, enslaved, killed, martyred for their faith, and all of a sudden, this church that was booming begins to shrink. It begins to just deteriorate, deteriorate before Timothy's eyes, like day, day, you know, every day the church was getting smaller and smaller. People were leaving their faith, going back to their pagan temples to, in order to appease the government and escape death. Some of the leaders of the church that Timothy had been side by side with, shoulder to shoulder with people he had never believed would abandon the faith. They started to leave him and they started to leave the Lord and leave the church. And here's Timothy, like at the end of this thing, like it is a totally different kind of feel. It's the same kind of letter, Paul saying, stay stay, Stay true to your calling. Stand firm. Fight the good fight. There's a lot of the same words in this letter. Completely different situation, though, is it not? And, and, and so you have this situation where, like, I need help because it's all good. I need help because it's all bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is, where, this is where these letters are coming from. And here, here we are in this kind of, we can imagine, I'm sure, the struggle that, that Timothy is facing as he is having to endure this um, endure this kind of season in which everything's falling apart. You know, as I read through First and Second Timothy both, um, these letters are about encouragement, of course, as I've mentioned, but they're really about this subject that I want to introduce to us today. and it was really about trusting God no matter what. Paul says things like, "Do the good work of a, uh, of a good soldier." he says that in 1 Timothy 1:18 1, and again in 2 Timothy 2:4 2, so he's saying the same things in both books both letters but essentially saying trust God no matter what trust God when things are going well and trust God when things are painful because you're going to have challenges in either place no matter what Timothy trust God trust him stay true to your calling fight the good fight you're going to need God's mercy but stand firm, do not waver, be strong. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, I'll put this on the screen, but he says this. He says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which, was, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's reminding him of a time when the Holy Spirit really kind of just was prayed over Timothy and he was kind of empowered in ministry and called. He says, for the Spirit of God does not make us, say it with me, Fearful. fearful. The Spirit of God does not make us fearful, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. How many of you guys know that Timothy must have been pretty fearful in this season? Things are not going well. This is churches churches deteriorating, government is after him. So he's not only fearful, he probably just wants to, to run away and hide. You know what I mean? He wants to go crawl in a hole and hide. Anybody ever feel that before? You're like, I just want to get away from this situation. I'm done. I don't need anybody. I don't want anybody to know my name. I just, I just like, want to be like completely anonymous. Like, please, Lord, like, take me away. Anybody with me? You know what I mean? And this, is, this had to be where Timothy was. And he's like, listen, Timothy, do not forget. Do not forget that you were called. So don't be afraid. God will give you power. God fills you up with love. He'll give you the self-discipline you need. You know, you know Timothy remembered those kind of scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about this trust. He says, Proverbs, Proverbs three five. I love this verse, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. He knew that verse. Or Nahum 1.7, it says, I love this, the Lord is good, he's a refuge in times of trouble, he cares for those who trust in Him. That sounds a lot like mercy. Trust is this interesting word that we throw around in life. It's very interesting. Because most of us, if I was going to ask you, are you a trustworthy person? You would go, no. <laughs> no, you'd say, yeah, yeah, I'm a trustworthy person. I, I want to be trustworthy. And you're thinking, yeah, I'm trustworthy. And so we, we kind of walk around thinking like people should trust us. I'm a good person. Yet we raise our children To not trust anyone, (laughs) you know, especially not strangers. Don't trust any stranger. Stranger danger. You know what I mean? Like we, and so we, it's really interesting. We live in this world where we walk thinking we're trustworthy, yet we kind of unintentionally create a culture of fear around trusting anyone else. Isn't that weird? I'm trustworthy, but anybody that looks different from me, I don't know if I can trust them. It's an interesting kind of wacky world of trust in this society we live in. We even have money that says, in God we trust. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I don't know if that's just words, but the very thing that we print in God we trust is the very thing that most of us trust more than God. It's a wacky world. (laughs) And trust is a very vulnerable thing. It's at the very core of what it means to be in a relationship with God. You trust him. Think about it. God gives us so much, does he not? He gives us his love. He gives us his forgiveness. God gives us salvation. What do we give God? We can give God our trust. I trust you, Lord. I can give give God that. I can give him my trust. And it's this vulnerable thing. Anybody did a trust fall before? You know what I'm talking about? You get up on a table or chair and you fall back. Who's done a trust fall? Yeah? The rest of you, you're weak. It's vulnerable. If you were if you're in the youth group in the 90s, you probably did a trust fall, right? It's night two of summer camp. Trust fall night. <clears throat> Check out this quote from Augustus Gordon, who's a missionary and kind of little-known missionary preacher guy. And he was asked, can you define the Christian life in, in a single sentence? And then he said this, and it's on the screen. He said, I can define the Christian faith in a single word, trust. I read that, and I was like, that is... Good. Way to go, Augustus. I think you nailed it. <laughs> Maybe we could say it this way. Next slide. Somewhere along the way in life, good faith should mature into trust. Eventually, haven't we learned enough about our faith to trust what we've learned? Isn't there a I mean, this is, this, is, this is one of those things, like, for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I probably for years have You know, I talk about faith, 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 faith. And eventually, though, my faith has to trust, doesn't it? That was really good. Thank you. You guys are always right on top of it. Right in that moment when I'm expecting a chorus of amens, they never fail to come. Well, except most of the time. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. It's really hard to trust when you don't know the future, isn't it? It becomes really challenging when difficulties arise, whether they're challenges that are good challenges or challenges that are bad challenges. You know, this young protege, Timothy, you know, trust God no matter what, right? Believe in your calling, fan in the flame, the gift. It didn't make it any easier when he's in that season, especially because he didn't know what was next. He's like, I don't know what to do. He's like, trust God, but I don't know what to do. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Trust God, because what happens, though, and I think this is why this is so important for Timothy, and it's so important for us, so important for believers in a city like we're in today, is in those seasons when those challenges arise, what happens for most of us is we try to grab control in that season, do we not? We try to, we try to clamp down on something. And we, we want to employ other resources. We want to employ other resources that take our trust out of the mystery of God and put it into something, some sort of construct of certainty and clarity. Do you guys catch that? Yeah. There's this amazing story from Mother Teresa with this brilliant ethicist named John Cavanaugh, which I've been trying to figure out what an ethicist is since I read that and about this brilliant ethicist. And I thought, it has to be someone that has ethics. I guess I'm an ethicist. <laughs> you, so could you be? I just don't know if we're brilliant, but um, this is a brilliant <laughs> ethicist named John Cavanaugh. He went to work for three months at the uh, House of the Dying in Calcutta, which is where the Mother Teresa's ministry was. And uh, this was sort of a pilgrimage for him in that he wanted to go and seek a clear answer about what he was supposed to do with the rest of his life. I mean, I think most of us get that. There's probably those seasons in life, like, God, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? And this is where he was at. And so you know, on his first morning there, he was privileged enough to meet Mother Teresa, and she asked, well, what can I do for you? And Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him. And she said, well, what do you want me to pray for? And he asked her what many of us have probably prayed for before. And he said, pray that I have clarity. You know, I need clarity for my life. And she firmly said, no, I will not do that. And when he asked why, she said this. She said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to, and you must let go of it. When Kavanaugh commented, well, you've always seemed to have clarity about your life and, and 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 I want it like you have it. And she laughed and said, I have never had clarity. I have al- I have always had trust. So I will pray that you trust God. Mm. And that's why she's Mother Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> this clarity versus trust. Prayer is a challenge for so many of us, right? I mean, I've, I've prayed personally, and I've prayed with many others that God would give clarity. And, and I don't think that's a wrong prayer. But I wonder how often we just say, Lord, I just want to trust you. We long for God to give us clarity. We'll say things like, I'll do whatever, God, you want me to do. Just tell me the plan. Tell me the game plan, whatever, right? And I wonder how many of us are clinging to clarity, instead of and, and clarity especially in how things will happen instead of just, instead of just trusting The thing that we know, maybe the thing that we know is just the next play, not the whole game plan. Brennan Manning says this and put this on the screen. He says, craving clarity, we attempt to eliminate risk of trusting God. Fear of the unknown path in front of us destroys childlike trust in the Father's act of goodness and unrestricted love. This is one of those, like, I need need some time to absorb this body blow from Vernon Manning. You know what I mean? Like, this is, he essentially is saying this. He's like, listen, you have to trust first and foremost that God's goodness is active in your life and that he loves you. You have to trust that. You have to believe that. He's never, he's always for you. He's not against you. And then he says, but when we crave clarity... Perhaps in a season where God is just wanting us to take one step at a time, sometimes God gives us 10 steps at a time, which is really great. But sometimes he gives us one. And when we crave clarity in those seasons, we eliminate the risk of trusting God. And therefore, we destroy the childlike trust in a father who's good and who loves us. I think that's what the scriptures teach us over and over again. I think this is what... Jesus taught us, you remember on the eve of his crucifixion, he's about to be crucified and he prays what? He says, pray, he prays, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to trust you. If you just read the prayers of Jesus, 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 he would have hoped to not have to go through what he went through, but he went through it because he trusted the Father. A trusting heart says, Abba, Father, I surrender my life to you and I put my confidence in you. I know for us personally christy and i we've we've had time and time again in our life where we've had to trust god i'm sure you have too where there's these moments where you're like oh man what are we going to do you got to trust him i can i remember back when this began we just got married i was 22 years old i graduated college we were newly newly married and i was excited about the next chapter because i was going to get into a full-time job doing ministry and i was very excited about it and uh I had dreams like, okay, now we're finally, because you know, we're coll- in the college life, you don't have much. You're just kind of scraping by, and I'm like, I'm gonna have a full-time job. I'm gonna be able to take my, my, newly, my new wife out to, to, on date nights. We're gonna go to Chili's, you know, <laughs> gonna go Blockbuster, get a couple VHS tapes. It's gonna be awesome. And I was, just, I was like dreaming big, right? And uh, <clears throat> well, I was offered the job, and I was told we wanna hire you full-time, which I was so excited about. And they were like, we love you, we think you're a rock star, we want you to be on the student ministry staff, all that kind of stuff. But we can only pay you this amount. And I would tell you the amount, but it would be embarrassing for all of us. <laughs> Mostly me. It was a very, very small amount. And I, I didn't expect much, we didn't need much. But I was truly unsure how we would live on that. And needless to say, I was disappointed. I mean, we wanted to get a house, but that wasn't going to happen. I wanted to go to Chili's, but that was not going to happen. We were going to have to go to those places that sell combo meals. You know, they include, you don't have to tip. I mean, that's where we went. And then I remember after after he told me the amount, he was just trying to be, you know, probably helpful in this. I don't know if it helped, but he says, and you probably won't ever get paid much more than that. It was like the dagger, right? Brutal truth and honesty. Just to be like, just in case you're dreaming, stop. The Lord the Lord is limited in this case. His glorious riches, not here. Okay. Well, naturally, we said yes uh, to the job. And we stayed at the church for another eight years. And I can just say that when you trust God, the game plan is never what you think it will be. Um, we couldn't buy a house, but he did give us one for free when we got married. Thank you, Lord. Right? And so, you know, I mean, and then we... we, we uh, we got a job later, a different job at the church that his glorious riches were in. I'm just kidding. No. Uh, <laughs> no, we got a different job, and life went on, and God has a plan, and he does things that you don't expect. And here's what I, why I even tell that story is we didn't do anything special, and that's what I'm learning because I don't really think like we did. Powerful encounters with God where he radically provides or shows you his love are usually experienced in just small moments where you trust him without any clarity about What's next? That's where God shows up. You know, last week Ryan Moore emailed a group of us to ask us to be praying for this little girl. Her name was Addie. We don't know Addie. Um, she's a granddaughter of a couple that he's been working with, and and he found out that she had um, bone cancer. And he asked, "Can can we pray for her? And can I get some friends praying for her?" And of course they said yes. And so we started praying and. Um, just in an email, it was just an email to us. Hey, pray, and so we all just kind of okay, yeah. Lord, you can do this, Amen. Kind of thing, and we get a we get a text message, or she, Ryan gets a text message two days later after we begin praying, and this is what it says. It says the doctors saw that Addie, or the doctors that saw Addie today, say that they never see results like hers. The cancer is almost gone from her bone marrow. Tumors are shrinking. The primary tumor is inactive. We are not out of the woods yet, but things are looking good. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Thank you for praying, and please continue to pray. Yeah. We just pray in Jesus' name that you would finish that healing. Amen? Amen. But the other part that I love of that story, I love that God's doing a healing, of course. But the other part that I love of that story is Ryan, along with others, because there's a bunch of people praying. Um, they trusted that God could do something, and He invited a group into a very a group of us into a very normal thing. It's pretty normal to pray, isn't it? He invited us into a very normal thing, and we did the thing that we knew we were called to do, and we didn't do it at all because all we did was the normal thing. Who did the abnormal thing? <laughs> God, and I've just been believing that the more we trust God in the normal things that he's called us to do, the things that we understand he's always called us to do, and when we step into those with trust, not knowing clarity about how he's going to do it, whether it's the job I take or the prayer I pray or the thing that I serve in that I don't know why I'm serving in it, but I feel like I'm supposed to serve in it. When we do the normal thing that we are called to do and trust that God can do more with it, he will. And so we don't need clarity about all the things. What we need is trust. When we trust that he's calling us, what happens, and when we trust that he's called us to do these things, like I said, pray or whatever, we begin to see the faithfulness and the power of God invade our life, and we start to see the unplanned rhythms of God's goodness. And that's what I want to see. I don't want to see the predetermined hopes that I think God can do for me. I want to see the unplanned things that I had no idea they were coming. See, our human story of trust for you and me, it's a movement in our life toward a life of dependence, right? Uh, Towards a life of dependence in which it is no longer some sort of predetermined, sort of fabricated, clearly delineated plan for the future. But instead, it's an exercise of trust in which even when we lack the clarity that we f- so desperately want, we find ourselves taking hold of a life that is truly life. And that statement, life that is truly life, comes out of 1 Timothy. I love this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. It says, command them to do good. This is a good word, like in so many different ways. But command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. So again, when you do good deeds when we trust God to do the things we're supposed to do, when we're generous and willing to share, well, in this way, they will lay up for the treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, go do the work you're supposed to do. Don't worry about challenges. Like, trust God no matter what and call others to trust him. Go and trust what God has called you to. Go. Keep going. Stand firm in the faith. Fight the good fight. Fan the flame of the gift of God. You know, it's often said um, something to the effect that, you know, faith will eventually require some measure of risk, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah, there's going to be risk involved in it. Perhaps a better way to say it is that the way of trust always requires risk. That the way of trust always requires risk. Now, I say that and I, I, want to be, I want to be clear because as I, as I push into a message about trust and I just say, oh, go for it. It's not like I'm going, hey, just start swinging for the fences and going crazy and just believing. Here's the thing. I'm not, I, there's no, I wouldn't want no one to go in and like tonight go in a careless way. Okay, I'm not happy in my job. Therefore, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to trust the Lord to provide. So I'm going to quit my job and we're going we're to figure this out tomorrow. Hey, you know, here's the thing. I am not talking about absent-minded trust falls. There may be nobody there to catch it. I'm not talking about throwing Hail Marys in the first quarter, hoping for touchdowns. Listen, there is a time and a place for the Hail Mary. Are you with me? It happens at a desperate moment where you like, have no other options except to go for it all. Most moments and acts of trust are a process of discernment in which you not only are praying a lot, but you're going to your friends or your family or mentors and saying, I am going through this. But there comes a moment, there comes a moment where we must step into the moments where we would say as, as a believer that we would detach ourselves from the things that we think we need and we would step into trust. So I believe that every believer has moments where they must possess the unflinching trust in God. You'll have that moment. You probably have had some moments like that. And the truth is, most of us carry a very hard, distinguished, thin membranes of distrust between us and God. And that keeps us in a chronic state of worry and anxiety. And we spend our life working up a sweat, running on a treadmill, essentially. And all we're doing is just working really hard But gaining no new ground and taking no new territory for the kingdom of God. When we trust, we find traction. When we trust, we advance the kingdom. When we sit idly going, God, I need clarity, we're on a treadmill going nowhere. When we say, God, I know you've spoken, but I'm not ready because I need to know a little bit more. Will you give me what I need? We just keep standing in place, spending a lot of energy, but doing nothing. We must step into moments where we convert our layers of distrust into deep-seated trust in our Heavenly Father and His goodness and His love for us. When I say trust is about risk, In some ways, it's kind of a contradiction because there is so much confidence I have in the goodness and the love of the Father. Is it really risk to say, Lord, I don't need all the plans. I just want to walk with you. I want to trust you. I want to trust you have a plan for my life. It's better than any plan I have for my own. So let me ask you, what do you need to trust God with? What are you clinging to that you need to let go of? You know, First and Second Timothy are, they're just, pe- Paul's just like peppering Timothy with all these lines, like bam, like one-liners, bam, bam, bam. I love them. One-liners are, I don't know, I'm a one-liner guy. You know, 40 characters or less or whatever. Here we go. First and 2 Timothy, they, he has, says a few of these, they're not on screen, but I'll just kind of remind you of them. He says, fight the battle well, hold on to the faith and good conscience. That's in 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 6, he says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. 1 Timothy 6, 20. Fan into flame the gift of God. Because why? Because God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and self-control. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That's 2 Timothy 4, 2. I love that verse. Preach the word of God. Be ready in season and out of season. We usually think that as be ready, like, when you're paying attention and when you're not paying attention. Be ready whenever you're surprised to preach the word. And I think you got to—context is everything, right? When is—like, Timothy is definitely out of season in 2 Timothy. The whole church is falling apart. Everybody is leaving and being enslaved. And, you know, he's like, hey, you still need to be ready to preach the gospel right now. Like, do not be afraid, even if it feels like it's out of season. You know what I'm saying? Like, keep pushing. Be ready. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. That's 2 Timothy 4, 5 and 2 Timothy 4, 7. It's a whole great section, 2 Timothy 4. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. I want to read a few Psalms before we leave. David knows all about trust. He'd been on the run most of his life, for early part of his life. I mean, his his stories, we're not getting into it, but it's crazy. But he had so many beautiful lines about trust. Psalm 53, excuse me 56 verse 3 through 4 when i am most afraid i put my trust in you in god whose word i praise in god i put my trust fearing nothing i mean what can men do to me psalm 26 1 my trust in god never wavers psalm 27 14 put your trust in yahweh be strong let your heart be bold put your trust in god Psalm 52.8, I, for my part, like an olive tree growing in the house of God. What does an olive tree growing in the house of the Lord do? It grows down deep, some roots. It's established in the house of God. I put my trust, I let my roots grow deep into God's what? Love. Forever and ever. This is why we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. I know you love me. And I put my confident hope and trust in you. Holy Spirit, we trust your guidance. You know how many times we've said, Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me. What if he already has? (laughs) We just gotta trust it. So we started this message with uh, an encouragement for mercy. And, And I would say that a journey towards Maturing our faith and the trust is an act of God's mercy. And so maybe in between grace and peace you need an extra measure kind of sandwich right in between of God's mercy for your life. And it begins with this question that I'll throw on the screen. What do you need to trust God with? What do you need to trust him for? What are you clinging to? And that's through a few thoughts up there and they're not necessarily things we've talked about today. We did talk about clarity but maybe it's control. Maybe it's pleasing people or maybe it's the past but you're like I just need to trust you with this Lord it's been been something I've had a struggle doing in my life so my friends I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to let you pray actually so would you bow your heads and let's let you sit with that question for just a moment what do you need to trust God with what do you need to trust God with let's give you a a minute or so to just literally answer that question. What do I need to trust God with? i will quit talking and let you just talk with the Lord. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at OKC communitychurch.com